0: Chapters twenty one and twenty two of the measure of a man a tale of the big woods by norman duncan this LibriVox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty one that measure of love you can bet your life rowell resumed that they're all aware in hell that john fairmeadow is on the job in this section john fairmeadow's on the job from the big river to the camps of the logosh reservation there isn't a barroom in four hundred square miles where he can't call the bartender Johnny nor a bunkhouse where he isn't at home, and you boys know it. He's a big man. I mean it. He's a great big man, a man of our kind, and big by our scale. It took a man big in body and heart and faith a bigger man than me in the ways that we know as bigness to put gingerbread jenkins on his back in the middle of no man's lake and fetch him to swamp's end through the wind and snow and frost of that night and it takes a bigger man than any other big man i ever knew to operate in a religious fashion without cant and all manner of foolishness in the bunkhouses and bars and dyes of these woods i'm no judge of christians having handled none in my business and i've heard ill tales of their state in these days but i know that an ounce of john fairmeadow to the gallon of this generation's christianity would cure the wrongs of the world in a day and i draw my own conclusions tis said by the boys from the east that men don't go to church no more i don't know maybe not i don't care anyhow john fairmeadow's a minister for men he's no little sister of the rich at this time he hast headquarters with one-eyed mag which keeps the mother used to make at restaurant near the depot at swamp's end a large and flabby lady not open to suspicion a perfectly respectable person poor soul on account of one eye and various other varieties of looks these same headquarters was a home-made institution of one room with a barred window for the confinement and cure of the snakes there was a bit of a mystery at mag's too with which the parson had nothing to do twas in the shape of a wee small girl a pretty little rogue called angel which mag foster-mothered like a lonely hen and twas this child that had let gingerbread jenkins around by the hand at swamp's end while the wish for liquor was yet on him twas a mystery that couldn't be accounted for by no guessin' the boys of swamp's end was able for "'Twas said that a lady from Big Rapids "'come to see the child when nobody was looking, "'a real lady of fashion, with reasons of her own, "'and I'm able to say, as it turned out, "'that a lady from nearer than Big Rapids "'would often slip in at the kitchen door of a dark night "'to see little Angel put to bed. "'But it wasn't no lady of fashion. "'I'm a converted man, Parson,' says Gingerbread Jenkins, "'one day in the fall, "'but I'm just as much ashamed of myself as I used to be.' Seems to me," says he, "that a converted man ought to be doing something. You're working, Gingerbread," says the parson. "Ah, shucks," says Gingerbread. "Any fool can work. I mean something big and real. For example, what?" says the parson. "Well," says Gingerbread Jenkins, "taking care of somebody. For example, who?" says the parson. "Well," says Gingerbread, "somebody anyhow. But who?" well says gingerbread a woman the parson looked gingerbread in the eye for a long time so says he yes says gingerbread seems to me that every decent man ought to be taken care of a woman whether he's a converted christian man or not what's a man for says he and who else is going to take care of them they can't take care of themselves from what i know em and so i'm fixed and determined in this says he that a decent man ought to get married and settle down and take care of somebody and be somebody are you able to take care of anybody says the parson i'm able says gingerbread if i'm fit say that again says the parson i'm able says gingerbread if i'm fit but that's what's bothering me i've lived free in my time says he "'An' as I figure it out, there isn't much comin' to the man that's lived free. "'So I'm not askin' much in the way of a woman. "'The more she'd need takin' care of,' says he. "'The better I'd like it. "'You see,' says he, "'that's a man's business.' "'Say that again,' says the parson. "'What's the matter with you anyhow?' says Gingerbread Jenkins. "'You're hard o hearin', ain't you?' "'No,' says the parson. "'But I'm surprised.' I says says gingerbread jenkins that the more she would need takin care of the better i'd like it the parson jumped up and put his hands on gingerbread's shoulders do you mean it says he do you mean it or are you just talkin talkin be hanged says gingerbread jenkins i'm not give to talkin of course i mean it you're a big man gingerbread says the parson i wonder how big i dunno says gingerbread how big says the parson well says gingerbread you better measure and see the parson walked the floor in a deal of trouble by and by he come up to gingerbread jenkins again and looked him right in the eye it was then towards the evening. john fairmeadow says and john fairmeadow turned gingerbread jenkins face to the window and looked into his eyes and tried to search the last places of his soul gingerbread jenkins says that he couldn't stand it no longer by and by and that he looked away from john fairmeadow's eyes to the sunset clouds beyond the pines and that he was afraid but didn't quite know why jimmy says john fairmeadow listen to me well i'm going to measure you now i believe you i believe in your humility and in your love of the world for love's sake i don't misunderstand i know love healed you whether you know it or not in these words AND NOW IT IS IN YOUR HEART TO LOVE, THAT SOME OTHER ONE MAY BE HEALED BY LOVE ALSO. I BELIEVE THAT YOU WANT A WOMAN TO TAKE CARE OF, TO guard AND CHERISH FROM THE ILLS OF LIFE, BECAUSE YOU BELIEVE IT TO BE THE DUTY OF MEN TO CARE FOR WOMEN. LISTEN TO ME WELL, JIMMY JENKINS, I'M GOING TO MEASURE YOU NOW. YOU MAY DO, IF YOU WILL, WHAT NO OTHER CHRISTIAN MAN I KNOW OR EVER KNEW. NOT I, MOST OF ALL, GOD HELP ME, NOT I, WOULD DO FOR LOVE'S SAKE. STAND UP, JIMMY JENKINS, SAYS HE, AND BE MEASURED BY THE MEASURE OF LOVE. GINGERBREAD JENKINS WAS FRIGHTENED. WHAT'S ALL THIS, PARSON, SAYS HE, WHAT DO YOU MEAN? I KNOW A WOMAN. WHAT WOMAN? A NEEDY WOMAN WITH A HEART TURNED TOWARDS A LOVE JUST LIKE THIS. THEN, SAYS GINGERBREAD JENKINS, FETCH HER OUT. IF I'M FIT, I'M willin." THERE'S LITTLE ANGEL, SAYS THE PARSON. I LOVE HER, SAYS GINGERBREAD JENKINS. SHE HAS A MOTHER the mother a little angel says gingerbread jenkins i'm not fit she's a lady the mother of little angel says the parson is no lady no lady no lady gingerbread jenkins jumped away from him what are you saying says he i can't do that i can't man i tell you i can't i'm just not able no says john fairmeadow no man could do that Speak plain, says Gingerbread Jenkins, little angel's mother, no lady. What is she, then? What have you been, James Jenkins? I'm not what I was, says Gingerbread Jenkins. Nor is she, says the parson. Parson, says Gingerbread Jenkins, I guess it's just about time for you to lead in prayer. I'm tired, says he. I'm all tired out. My heart's fixed on doing right, says he, but I don't know what is right nor do i says the parson gingerbread jenkins says that at that very minute a flood of sunshine broke loose from the clouds and made the whole world light and so says the superintendent they was married they was in due course of time risky the superintendent observed "'The mother, a little angel,' Raoul replied, "'was as sweet and pretty and modest as ever a bride could be, "'and shy in the presence of so much joy. "'And they're all away now, "'and they'll be up in Saskatchewan in the spring. "'You'll never see gingerbread Jenkins in these parts no more. "'I've noticed that a man of good courage,' Raoul concluded, "'will usually unravel a good ending from the tangle of his life.'" CHAPTER Twenty Two on the grade fairmeadow's ministry to these great woods had a greater aspect than that of denunciatory preaching and altercation there were times indeed when in ease of departing souls he became a man of exquisite tenderness when, for example, it came time for Mike Finnerty, the cant hook road monkey, to die in a little room above Pale Peter's saloon at Swamp's End, whither he had been taken from the barroom floor, far gone in pneumonia, nothing would do the old Irishman but he must have John Fairmeadow come to shrive him. Fairmeadow was not at Swamp's End, Fairmeadow was off on the trails. Where? beyond cedar long swamp they said and bound north to the snake stream camps a message to the red company's cutting might intercept him it did it caught john fairmeadow in the nick of time his feet were fairly on the white trail to the north and fairmeadow made for swamp's end on a dog trot which never let up until late at night the light of pale peters were visible in the wintry darkness mike finnerty had come to the end of a long career of furious living in the last years of it he had been a shrivelled little road monkey in the meanest camps of the state a gray wrinkled morose little man given to silence in camp and to garrulous ill-temper in his cups in town it was all over now however And it may be that he was frightened by the prospect of this sudden change to that which, except for priestly teaching, had been a mystery to him all his days. "'Is that you, Parson?' he whispered. Fairmeadow took his hand. "'I'm glad you've come,' said Mike. "'I got to die, they're telling me.' It was evident that he had to die. "'You'll answer?' said Mike. Fairmeadow pressed the old man's hand. "'You'll do,' Mike repeated. "'You're priest enough for me.' He was anxious, it seemed, for the soul that was about to depart from his ill-kept and degraded body, and he was in pain and turning very weak. "'Parson,' said he presently, with a knowing little wink, "'I want you to fix it for me.' "'Fix it, Mike?' "'Sure, you know what I mean,' Mike replied. "'I want you to fix it.' "'Fix it, Mike?' "'Fix it for me.' "'Mike,' said Fairmeadow, "'I can't fix it for you.' can't fix it said the dying man in amazement then what the hell did you come for to show you fairmeadow answered gently how you can fix it me fix it you me fairmeadow explained then that the scheme of redemption according to his creed the atonement and salvation by faith mike listened presently he nodded comprehendingly He continued to listen, absorbed, and still with amazement, all the time nodding his understanding. "Uh "'Uh-huh,' he muttered, when Fairmeadow had done, as one who says, "'I see.' He said no other word before he died, just, "Uh uh-huh, to express enlightenment. And when later it came time for him to die, he still held tight to Fairmeadow's finger, muttering now and again, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh like a man to whom has come some great astounding revelation when long jock mackenzie lay dying in the hospital at big rapids a screen about his cot in the hospital ward it was john fairmeadow who sat with him as he was used to sitting in those days with all dying lumberjacks it was fairmeadow who told long jock that the end was near nearing the landing parson long jock asked with a smile fairmeadow nodded nearing the last landing the lumberjack repeated almost there jock the lumberjack pondered i've a heavy load parson said he presently i've a heavy load he sighed long jock was a four-horse teamster used to hauling logs from the woods to the landing at the lake for years he had humoured these great loads over the logging roads easing them on the downgrades calling to his horses on the upgrades and it seemed now that he fancied the last grade to be an insuperable one. "'Parson,' he asked, "'do you think I can make the grade?' "'With help, Jock.' Mackenzie said nothing for a moment. Then he looked up. "'You mean,' said he, "'that I need another team of leaders?' Fairmeadow nodded. "'Another team of leaders,' the lumberjack repeated. "'The great leader, Jock.' oh i know what you mean says mackenzie you mean that i need the help of jesus christ again fairmeadow nodded to make this great mackenzie added no need to tell what fairmeadow said then to the scotch teamster in his last extremity what he repeated according to his faith about repentance and belief and the infinite love of god long jock mackenzie had heard it all before long before at home being scottish born and had not utterly forgotten prodigal though he was it was all recalled to him now by a man whose life and love and uplifted heart were well known to him by john fairmeadow a minister of the old school pray for me said he like a child long jock mackenzie died that night It was a gentle passing. He had said never a word in the long interval, but just before his last breath was drawn, while Fairmeadow still held his hand, he opened his eyes, looked up, and signed for the minister to bend near. Fairmeadow leaned close. Mackenzie whispered, "'Tell the boys I made the grade.' Forthwith he departed. Fairmeadow's ministry was to men—' to twenty thousand prodigals. It concerned women, too, perhaps, not many women, only the women whom the pale men of the town found necessary to their gain, and no good women at all. It was Fairmeadow who held the consumptive hand of little Liz of the shuttered Red House near By Swamp's End, while she lay dying alone in her tousled bed. It was a black night in the spring, Swamp's end was deep in mud. The trails were black and soggy. The wind came rushing from east, a black, wet wind, moaning about the shuttered red house and shaking the flimsy structure to its foundations. The doctor from Big Rapids had gone. "'Am I dying, Parson?' little Liz asked. "'Yes, my girl.' Dying? "'Yes, my girl.' "'Now?' little liz exclaimed dying now presently child mother little liz moaned oh mother little liz was frightened she was dreadfully frightened dying and now the poor little thing began to sob for her mother with all her heart mag no she didn't want mag she wanted her mother but nobody came perhaps it was just as well john fairmeadow was there big kind clean john fairmeadow i conceive with what tenderness he comforted the little magdalen how that his big hand was soft and warm enough to serve in that extremity into which no mother could enter now i fancy that little liz of the shuttered red house near by swamp's end died more easily more hopefully because of the proximity of john fairmeadow's clear uplifted soul and i know that when the exhausted little body was laid away in the field at the edge of the woods i know that when paddy batch and old tom hitch and tom hitch's little jenny stood beside the grave which john fairmeadow had dug i know that the spring sunshine was warm then i know that not a flower of that green place drooped its head in shame i know too that john fairmeadow read the service prescribed that he read it in certain faith that its prayers and promises were for such even as little is so also is the resurrection of the dead it is sown in corruption it is raised in incorruption it is sown in dishonour it is raised in glory it is sown in weakness it is raised in power amen fairmeadow came once to white pine a god-forsaken little ramshackle settlement in touch with the remotest lumbering operations of the woods it was off the railroad it was no more than a collection of frowsy out-at-elbows blear-eyed shacks on the bank of black river the shacks of course were for the most part saloons designed to purvey hilarity to the lumberjacks of the neighbourhood and a scattering of hardy homesteaders the big scotchman with whom fairmeadow presently fell in was drunk and shivering with apprehension of delirium tremens at smith's Cafe. the man was a homesteader living alone on his grant of land a mile or more from the settlement first of all fairmeadow sighed quite familiar with the situation i must get him home but how i can't get home the scotchman complained all right said fairmeadow promptly then i'll carry you presently when this had been accomplished the necessity of keeping the big scotchman where he had got him devolved upon john fairmeadow the whiskey sickness had fallen the big scotchman was took with the snakes there was a long wrestle in the lonely little cabin in the woods john fairmeadow got the big scotchman down at last and held him down It was a variety of John Fairmeadow's preaching. There was no choir, to be sure. The congregation was small, and there was no report in the newspapers, but the sermon went on just the same. John Fairmeadow got the congregation into his bunk, and for two days and nights thereafter he sat ministering, hearing all the time the ravings of delirium there was an interval of relief then and during this john fairmeadow gathered up every shred of the big scotchman's clothing and hid it there was not a garment left in the cabin to cover the man's nakedness the big scotchman presently wanted whiskey no said fairmeadow you stay right here the big scotchman got up to dress my friend said fairmeadow there's nothing to wear then the fight was on again It was a long fight merely a physical thing in the beginning but a fight of another kind before the day was done and john fairmeadow won when at last the big scotchman got up from his knees he took john fairmeadow's hand and said that by god's help he would live better than he had lived moreover he was as good as his word a rough lot perhaps these lumberjacks but they were still sentimental upon occasions and they were devoted to John Fairmeadow. And how lustily they sang John Fairmeadow's hymns in the bunkhouses, not perhaps in appreciation of the sentiment, but for the sheer joy of singing. And at the Bottle River camps, Jesus, lover of my soul, engaged them. They sang it again and again, and when they got up in the morning, they said, Say, parson, let's sing her once more. They sang it once more, in the bunkhouse, at dawn and the boss opened the door and was much too amazed to interrupt they sang it again all out cried the boss and the boys went slowly off to labour in the woods singing let me to thy bosom fly and oh receive my soul at last diverging here and there axes and saws over shoulder some to the deeper forest some making out upon the frozen lake some pursuing the white roads all passing into the snow and green and great trees and silence of the undefiled forest which john fairmeadow loved all singing as they went other refuge have i none hangs my helpless soul on thee until the voices were like sweet and soft coming echoes from the wilderness fairmeadow was once taken ill in the woods it was a matter of exposure occurring in cold weather after months of harsh toil with a pack on his back there was a storm of snow blowing at far below zero and fair was miles from any camp he managed however after hours of plodding through the snow to reach the uncut timber where he was somewhat sheltered from the wind he was then intent upon the sermon for the evening but beyond that even trudging through these tempered places, he has forgotten what occurred. The lumberjacks of the canthook cutting found him at last lying in the snow near the cook-house and they carried him to the bunkhouse and put him to bed and consulted concerning him. The parson's an almighty sick man said one another prescribed got any whiskey in camp. There was no whiskey, there was no doctor within reach. There was no medicine of any sort and the parson whom they had taken from the snow was a very sick man they wondered what could be done for him it seemed that nobody knew there was nothing to be done nothing but keep him covered up and warm boys a lumberjack proposed how's this for an idea they listened we can pray for the man said he who's always praying for us they managed to do it somehow and when Fairmeadow heard that the boys were praying for him—praying for him!—he turned his face to the wall, and covered up his head, and wept like a fevered boy. End of chapter 22